welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Let's pray over the Word of God. Let me just say, uh, before we get into this, um, you know, when you're reading the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is leaving the Ephesian church. It's Acts chapter 20. And he, and he has a farewell speech, which we have recorded, or at least parts of it. And he says a very profound thing when he's leaving. He's talking about how he had served them for over three years, their community, their church, and how he administered to them. And then he, he leaves them with these words. He says... Um, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You know that verse? And uh, other translations say, I didn't hesitate uh, to proclaim the whole will of God. Or I wanted to declare all that God wants you to know. And so every pastor that's worth his or her salt uh, aims to do exactly that, to bring food for the flock if you like to you know feed the 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 flock God's flock and to make sure that we have a well-rounded understanding of the the full Christian message and not just preach the pet topics because you can easily just go down trails of what you've preached before so I just want you to know we prayerfully consider from year to year every year throughout the year as well uh, you know what God really wants us to learn and grow in and speak on and teach on and so that's how he's led us to this subject of Israel and the church because in some ways it's, it's not a, a, a light or easy subject um, but, um, but it's in the scriptures quite often you can just easily gloss over it and so with that in mind why don't we pray over the word and, uh, and help us to grow and go uh, a little deeper. Father we thank you uh, for these times together we thank you what a great day this is the day that you've made we are glad that we are alive enjoying life and all that it has, including all the challenges. Uh, but we also love gathering together in your house, in your presence, and around your word to understand more of who you are, who you want us to be, what's gone on in the history of the mankind and humankind that we can learn from, and then how we can apply it to our lives today for your glory. So help us to understand your word and your ways and indeed do just that, apply it to our lives in Jesus' name. Believe for that. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, have a seat. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Frosty. I must say, I love those praise reports and uh, how good, you know, from little kids praying for fine weather to someone getting healed to Linda with a, you know, classic... Uh, evangelist's life. Um, what an introduction. Uh, I've never had someone come to me and just say, I have vertigo. But Linda has those sorts of things happen. When you're prayerful and open to God, you never know what's going to happen. And Harriet also, such a great evangelist. Um, and, uh, you know, Harriet's using, you know, little tracts, Bible tracts. And we've got a number of different ones around. There's probably some on that table. You can take them. And she came to me um, a few weeks ago in the office and said, oh, Pastor, I really want to get more of this one. I like this one. And um, and I and I knew the one, and we had ordered a bunch of them a while ago, and um, 
we did a series on the story, God's story, and this uh, Christian organisation in America had produced this track. And I thought, yeah, this is great. So I looked on where we had bought them before and found the website and that wasn't available. And I looked somewhere else and Googled here and Googled there and searched around. I finally emailed the organisation in America and they got back to me saying, sorry, we don't print that anymore. But I had one last one and I thought, well, that's all right. It's really good. I'll perhaps put something together based on that and we could have something, you know, so I left it on my desk. Then Junie comes to the office, our gorgeous granddaughter, who's very calm and sweet and you, it's kind of uh, a little disarming that she can still destroy things because you don't think that she would, you know, whereas some of my other children that I raised, the one who was drumming here was just, was all on right from the word go, you know, you just remove things from everywhere below a metre and the houses were destroyed, you know, but Jenny's very sweet and petite and she sits there, you know. Um, but then I did find all the marriage certificates that I use, you, you have to order them from the government uh, as a marriage uh, minister uh, or celebrant and there's about a hundred of them and they're all in order. Uh, I did look over when she was just playing in my office one day and I looked over and there they were scattered all over. So if you're getting married, if you're engaged or you're young and you will end up getting married in the church, if you see little teeth marks or a little dribbly little bit on the corner of your marriage certificate, you'll know that could be traced back to that day. But anyway, on the so the, here's the tract, right? And so I've got the track that's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to, you know, do it all. And then um, I look over and there's Junie just eating and destroying and pulling apart the tract. And it was just in, you know, uh, but I found one more. So it's okay. Uh, so um, now uh, let us look at the Bible. Um, and I'm going to, like I said, is it all right if we go a little deep? Are you up for that? All went very quiet there, right? All right, well, I'll just try and slip in a dad joke or two to keep you awake, but uh, I can't even promise that. But I've got three main passages to look at this morning. And if you're online, uh, you know, jot these down or here, jot them down and then we'll look at them or you can look at them again in your connect group or on your own and, and see what the word says. But um, let's read from John chapter 8. Uh, and hopefully the scriptures can pop up as well to follow. Uh, in verse 31, just background to this passage, Jesus has been talking to a num number of different people, his followers, but also the Pharisees, you know, the religious leaders who are very suspicious and really starting to accuse him of being blasphemous, and they were watching on following him around. So he begins this passage talking to the people that are following him, but as he goes on, you find that he's actually speaking to the Pharisees. So he says... Uh, to the people who believed in him, verse 31, John chapter 8, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You ever heard that before? What an incredible statement. And Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. So we know Jesus, we find freedom. What an incredible equation. Uh, but we are descendants of Abraham, they said. So this could be just some of the people or it could be the Pharisees. And as we read on, we, we find that it's more the Pharisees doing the back talking, the, the responses. Uh, we've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realise that you are descendants of Abraham. And yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I am telling you what I say, sorry, what I saw when I was with my father. But you are following the advice of your father. 
Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. Well, if you read on in that passage, you see that Jesus goes into no uncertain terms to tell them exactly who their father is, the devil. And um, because they loved to do evil, they hated the truth and they were rejecting Jesus who had been sent as the Messiah. So what a powerful passage. I mean, it tells us that we're enslaved by sin, all of us. We're all in need of forgiveness and freedom, but Jesus can bring that to us and that we can become disciples of his and faithfully follow uh, him and his teachings. But it also shows us this conflict that was developing between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders and why they rejected him as a Messiah and they considered him heretical and blasphemous. And the reason, of course, is that they were stuck in their religious traditions, their, their culture, their sense of identity that we're God's chosen people and that's all that matters. We're descendants of Abraham. And, uh, and of course, that doesn't earn them right standing with God. And the irony is the only person who could earn them right standing with God was right before them and they were rejecting him. Uh, and they missed this one person who could bring them real righteousness due to their pride, their stubborn refusal to see God move outside the box that they'd made for him. Of course, they wanted the Messiah to come with great pomp and ceremony, uh, they wanted a political leader to set them free from Roman oppression, they wanted this glorious, grand, obvious kind of Messiah and instead what did they get? A baby, the Messiah came as a baby, born to a very working class family in humble circumstances and then when he grew up he became a tradie and just hung out with sinners and travelled around with a bunch of very questionable characters. And you say, this is the Messiah. He's just shuffling along. You know. And so God loves to do things to just shatter our boxes that we build for him. Of course, there's truth and there are some things that are unshakable and unchangeable, but there are methods that God uses to minister that are new and fresh and different and old wineskins, you know, that passage referring to the need sometimes for a new wineskin for new wine because old wineskins were cracked and dry and they would burst if they weren't flexible and so we need to be open to God's ways and so these guys were stuck they were stuck in the old covenant which you know was full of laws to follow but it couldn't really save people it couldn't set them free from sin it just you know had a, a, a covering over sin a temporary protection until the new covenant came and Jesus was bringing in the new covenant. So his covenant, as you know, not just, um, you know, the uh, lambs. Remember, we had the Passover uh, represented here a few weeks ago with Bob Mendelson from Jews for Jesus. He talked about the lamb sacrifices in the Old Testament. And then Jesus was, of course, called the Lamb of God, the one perfect sacrifice. And with his blood, as we heard over communion, we are set free. Completely, And sin for all people, for all time, is all done away with. Incredible. Uh, but these guys couldn't get it. And Jesus made it quite clear here and at other times that he had come to fulfil the law, the old covenant, bring in a new covenant, and that we just need to follow him and we could become part of God's family, God's kingdom. So there's this divide within the Jewish community 
because we read there, there were some Jews that were already following Jesus and there were some that were digging their heels in saying, no, you're a heretic. And, um, and this had always been the case. When you read the Old Testament, you have what theologians call uh, true Israel as opposed to national Israel. So true Israel are the believers and sometimes they're called the faithful remnant because there's not that many of them. Other times there were a majority and Israel was going well as a nation and serving God and other times the majority were national Israel, they were still Jews but they were backslidden or they were stuck in, they were either worshipping false gods or they were stuck in their religious ways that they say were following God but the ways ended up being a, a sort of form of idolatry, not Idols like the Baal and idol worship of other nations, but uh, religiosity can become a form of, of idol worship, anything that gets in the way of a real relationship with God. And so that had happened. You know, you'd had a, on, on one hand in the past, you'd had people like Abraham and David and Isaiah and Deborah and, all, and many others that we don't know the names of who were faithful to God, loved God and followed however God revealed himself. And then you have these other unbelieving Jewish people uh, who were sometimes the majority but uh, rejected God's ways. And so then when you have the start of the church, Jesus dies, goes to heaven, dies, gets raised from the dead, goes to heaven. More on that at Easter, in case you didn't know the story. Um, uh, well, listen, you've got to take, you can't take anything for granted. I think I've told you before, the first time I ever went to church, first time I ever went to church, they did communion and I didn't know what it was on, what was going on. So, brother, I'm glad you've got Frosty right there and you're still here. He's probably sort of changed. Yeah, you've got your, yeah, yeah, you're here because Frosty's shackled you to the chair. But uh, it freaked me out. So we try not to assume anything. But uh, yeah, so Easter. Lots to discover at Easter, yeah, if you don't know the story. And more and more, Aussies, you know, went, my generation, even if you didn't go to church, you went to Scripture at school. So even if you weren't in a Christian family, you could say Jesus, Easter, God, prayer, the Lord's Prayer. You know, people had some Christian concept. More and more, you've got not just kids, but people, you know, in their 30s and 40s who perhaps have had no Christian input. Even at school, even you know, so it's uh, it's it's rabbit season. It's go, you know, go for it, duck season. You know what I mean? Is it's it's um, for the evangelists. It's a Bugs Bunny reference. It's uh, okay. I'm just saying, go for it in terms of witnessing. You know, duck season, rabbit season. Okay, all right, all right. Again, that's probably just for old people, but it's in a cartoon. Anyway, I'm just saying it's it's, it's, a, it's a harvest out there. There you go. We're, scriptural reference. Okay. So, so when the church started, you've basically got the faithful remnant, the true Israel, the Jews that did believe in God's latest revelation, Jesus as the Messiah, they're the nucleus of the church. And national Israel or unbelieving Israel are keeping their identity as a people group, but they're rejecting God's uh, purposes. And that helps us understand the relationship between the church and Israel, because you've got to decide which Israel you're talking about. So there's quite a distinction, obviously, between national Israel, which now again have become a nation, even though they went for 2,000 years without a country. So that's different to the church. But really there's no distinction between the church and the remnant true believing Israel, the Jews that did adapt and adopt 
the message that Jesus brought. So let's go to Romans chapter 9. Sorry, Romans chapter 11. We looked at actually a bit of this last week, but you know, Romans 9, 10 and 11, all those three chapters has a lot to help us understand this uh, journey that the Jewish nation has been on because uh, you read through there, you find that um, it's all relating to, to national Israel, the people who have been cut off from God's ways and grace by their doubt and their unbelief. But God's still got his eye on them. And we read about this, Romans chapter 11, verse 1, Paul's writing, and he's a Jew, and he's writing to predominantly Jewish people living in Rome, but ex- explaining to others as well. He says, okay, so has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, in other words, saying, well, I'm saved. I've not, you know, I've, I've accepted Jesus, so Jews can be born again. They can go to heaven. He says, God's not rejected his own people, whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you realise what the scriptures say about this? Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel and said, oh God, they've killed your prophets, they've torn down your altars, I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. One of his not so fine moments, Elijah, a great man of God, but just goes to show that we're all human. Isn't it interesting? Poor Elijah, he's in heaven, he's saying, oh Paul, did you have to write that? You know, it's like, how come, Holy Spirit, why did you inspire him to write that? I mean, I kind of did a few miracles, you know, too. But keep him humble. No, Elijah, you're in there, you're having a whinge. Uh, And so he's whinging because there doesn't seem to be anyone left. Well, there was still a faithful remnant, remember? And in that passage in Old Testament you read, uh, God says, I've actually kept a remnant who is still believing. He says, uh, God's reply, uh, no, I've 7,000 others who have never bowed down to Baal. Well, 7,000, Elijah, it's not that few, but, you know, so cheer up, you know. Um, And uh, things turn around for Elijah in in that story. And Paul says, it's the same today. For a few of the people of Israel, a few of us, him, right, included, have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. And since it's through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works, Right? So it's not by works, so it's not the law, it's not what they do, it's just accepting what God's done. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. So Paul there, obviously talking about the faithful remnant, right? Um, but then, if you go to, say, verse 17, he's continuing on about the rest of them. And look what he says. Some of these branches from Abraham's tree some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. These are the people who didn't believe in Jesus. So they've been broken off the the olive tree. It's been talking uh, about olive trees. And he says, and you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. Notice that word grafted. So you now also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children. Whoa, did you see that? It's an incredible statement. You now receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root. Well, you may say in verse 19, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ and you're there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. 
For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. In other words, we'll keep believing, stay humble, don't be proud. And so notice there, the tree, this olive tree, represents God's covenant, originally with Abraham and then the people of Israel. And then, of course, unbelieving Israel are the branches that have been broken off from the olive tree. And then notice that the Gentiles, that's us, believers, have been grafted in. We're represented by what he calls branches from a wild olive tree. So we know about grafting, hopefully. You know, olive growers back then, um, like a lot of orchardists, would graft. They'd get a, a root of an older olive tree and then they'd get new, fresher branches that might be more fruitful, but they get the strength of the original root and they stick them on. They graft them and grow. And, of course, our tree out in the courtyard here, that's a grafted tree because the top of it is a western red gum, which if it was the whole thing was a western Western red gum, our stage would be unsettled by the root system because they grow 30 or 40 metres tall. So you spend extra and get this root stock that is a smaller eucalypt with the top being the western one with the flowers and the foliage that we wanted. So then you get this gum tree that isn't massive because... Like I said, the root system can get carried away. And, you know, at the uh, nursery you see any fruit trees you buy, they're normally grafted too. So you get a thick bit at the bottom and then you wonder, why is that thick and then it's a bit skinny because they've grafted it on. And they're super clever now because you can buy, you know, trees that have got different fruit on different branches. So, um, you didn't know that. There you go, you learn something every day. <laughs> wow. If, Eleanor, you learn nothing else today, go and buy a lemonade tree or whatever they call There you go. All right. Anyway, anyway, for those prepared to go a little deeper, back to the Bible, Eleanor. <laughs> yes, you, you Google uh, fruit trees at Bunnings and see. There, all right, wait, off you go, off you go there. So now, but what, what I want you to see here, what's unusual about this analogy is the use of wild olive branches. So that's something that an orchardist or an olive grower wouldn't normally do, take something out of the wild. It's outside normal operations because a wild olive tree would be unpredictable in the way it grows. It would be untested, which is exactly God's point for us to know because we are those branches. We are Gentiles, untested, unproven, sinful. No matter what you've done, in other words, God will have you and he will be happy to graft you in. Isn't that awesome? That's, you know, you can... People say, oh, God, you know, I'd love to go to church, but, you know, the walls will fall down. Or, God, you, you, I've got, no, I've got to get my act together because God wouldn't be interested in me. I, I've been wild. I've been, it doesn't matter how wild you've been. As wild as you may have been, as sinful as you may have been, as guilty as you may feel, Jesus says, come on in. I've got a place for you on the olive tree. I will graft you in. I don't care what your background is. Isn't that awesome? And so that's the message for us. He says, God accepts us. We've been grafted in and we end up getting the same nourishment. It doesn't matter what the branch is. It doesn't matter whether it was a Jewish branch or a Gentile branch. The tree gets the same nourishment from the root system and that's available for us all. But also notice the warning that he gives the Gentiles. They say, well, don't get proud. Don't get conceited about this. Just stay humble which unfortunately, church history has proven was a warning that has not always been heeded because the New Testament church, as we said, started with this community of Jewish believers primarily, 
few Gentiles. But then as time goes on, more and more Gentiles are accepted. You have the radical vision that Peter gets in Acts 10. God says, no, no, I want, I want the gospel to go out to the Gentiles. Away they go. And then Paul takes over as the real apostle to the Gentiles, spreading the news all over the, the, uh, the, the Roman world with all the benefits of Roman communication and the Greek language and all this that had been set up well for God to move at that time. So they end up getting a real Gentile majority in the church and a Jewish minority. And the Gentiles end up being exactly how the Jews were at the beginning. The Jewish people were a little concerned and dismissive and, and uh, standoffish about Gentiles coming into the church. The Gentiles end up turning the tables and saying, well, we don't know about these Jewish people. Maybe the ones in the church, but the rest of them, they missed the boat. And, and they would actually point to, as the time went on, you know, in 70 AD, Jerusalem and the temple got destroyed by the Romans invading. The Romans had already been there, but there'd been a, a revolt and they came in and they wiped the temple out. 50 years later, they banned all Jewish people from entering Jerusalem, about 120 something AD. Masada, 73 AD, that terrible siege, and they killed them all. And, um, and so the Sometimes church leaders would go so far as saying, well, that really was a divinely ordained end to the Jewish nation. And they had terrible anti-Semitism growing in different parts of the church throughout history. Some Christians considered the Jews alone were responsible for the suffering and the death of Jesus. Of course, they seem to forget that Jesus was a Jew himself. So, you know, God could have made him any nationality and he did have something about that nation. So he... I don't know what the, how they'd figure through that. But sometimes in church history, church leaders would even approve of pogroms and persecution that were uh, aimed against the, the Jewish people. And even when the church wasn't completely racist, which hopefully was most of the time, there was still a, a, a widely held belief that the church of the Old Testament was, was Israel, but that now the, the church was Israel in the New Testament, that the church had replaced Israel and that's why they call it replacement theology. Pretty extreme view to basically say Israel no longer exists in God's mind uh, and that all prophecies about Israel made in the Old Testament are fulfilled fully into the church. But we'll discover more next week. Ruth will be teaching uh, how that's really not the case. So that's pretty extreme view. Counteracting that is another extreme view that's taken off in the last 50 or 60 years because, you know, Israel became a nation again. So that argument of, oh, God's wiped them out and he wouldn't want them to ever have their nationhood because they don't even have a land. Well, 1948, that argument fell apart because God's allowed them to miraculously come back and fulfil a prophecy in Isaiah, which we looked at last week, a nation formed in a day. Wow. So then some Christians have become completely enamoured with Israel. And the Bible says we should pray for peace of Jerusalem and so, you know, we should stand with Israel. That's cool. But some Christians get really carried away. So they get very excited and they want to, although they're Gentiles, they kind of want to become Jewish. They want and expect everyone to adopt all the festivals and follow all the laws and get right into it. And I've seen this in St. Petersburg. It's pretty funny. Uh, I went to a Jewish, Messianic Jewish church and I've done this a number of times and they're... Uh, they, I think I've told you this, they go berserk. I mean, they, they just love to dance. They, they got the Jewish song, and the men, it smells like a squash court, to be honest. The, the men, I don't know what it is with 
you know, deodorant is available in the shops. It wasn't in the 90s. I personally handed out deodorant to my Russian team when we were back there in the early 90s because it was hard to get, but the men needed it. And the trains were tough. wasn't just... Anyway, the trains were on time, but, you know, but, but you go into this Jewish... Um, Messianic Jewish church and they're dancing away the man and they just go berserk and the first few times I went there I, I don't know what they, they would just they'd go for like two hours singing for two hours and so I've negotiated now when I go there I say alright let's sing for an hour then I'll preach then you do what you like but I'll have another meeting to go or I'm going home to bed because it's either you know 11 o'clock at night now or it's one in the afternoon and we've got another meeting to go to. So, and then they, I leave and they're like, okay, bye, thank, great message. Yeah. Oh, and they're back to it, you know. And I was there last time and they're gone. Oh, and I said to the pastor, I said, I had no idea. There's hundreds of them. And I said, I had no, and they've got the white robes and this and all the, you know, stuff. Uh, and I said, I had no idea there were so many Messianic Jews in Russia, I mean, I knew there were Jewish people and Russian. There's a lot of Russian Jewish people, but I said I had no idea there were so many. He said, "Well, it's probably only a third. I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "There's probably a third of us here that are really Jewish and believers in Jesus." I said, well, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Oh, the other two thirds, they're just Russian Christians, but they just really like the whole deal, so they're just they're just signing on and just identifying, you know." And I guess in the 21st century, you can. Do what you like as far as identifying. You know, I'm identify- I was talking to someone the other day saying he was, gonna, he was looking forward to the uh, local school athletics carnival because he was going to clean up in the under-8s division, you know, and he's in his 50s and he just thought, yeah, I'm just going to identify because I feel like a win. I'm going to go and go on the long jump and push these little kids out of the way and so I'm identifying as an eight-year-old. Should be all right. Um, and so, anyway, I'm having a bit of a go at the craziness of our world. But... Uh, Anyway, so some people go a little bit crazy that way. Um, so, of course, the balance is to maintain our own culture um, and also honour and appreciate the Jewish roots of our Christian faith and, of course, the Jewish people and the fact that God hasn't forgotten them. Because um, do you remember, here's a little uh, addition to that argument, that when Jesus talks to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, you read it in John chapter 4, and, you know, he said he prophesies about her past and she's had many husbands and, and he talks about how he'll give her living water and you'll never thirst again. And we all know that. I don't know if you've ever noticed a little verse in there where Jesus said something it's quite profound. Uh, in verse 22 of John chapter 4, have we got that scripture? Chapter 4, John 4, 22, Jesus said, You Samaritans, this is the woman he's talking to, know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Isn't that amazing? And so we need to recognise that. That's the words of Jesus. Uh, And of course, Gentiles are grafted in and accepted, but that's the lineage, that's God's plan. And of course, Jesus, you know, came through that lineage. uh, The Messiah was was Jewish. Um, so back to the olive tree, uh, that replacement theology doesn't quite add up because God didn't cut the old tree down and plant a new one. Yeah, he, he, there's just one tree. We're just grafted in. And so, and again, God's still got a plan. He's still got a heart for the original branches, even if they have been cut off. Because look at uh, Romans 11 again, when we read on in verse 23. It says, if the people of Israel, 
this is national unbelieving Israel current time, turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them back into the tree. You by nature were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. As he said before. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. And of course, in that same passage, he goes on to say, so all Israel will be saved. They will have an opportunity by faith to come back in to God's fold. So we just uh, appreciate, as I said, that we still get the same nourishment even if we've been grafted in, yeah? And, and we get the same blessing. And so here's the, the, uh, the third passage of Scripture I want to look at this morning uh, in the book of Galatians because this is just mind-blowing when we grasp it. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. So just stop there for a sec. You know, Paul writes to the Galatians and the, the Jewish believers of Jesus, some of them were legalists and they were telling people in this part of the world, in Galatia, where he wrote the letter, they were saying, you Gentiles, all right, sure, you can join the church, but you've got to follow all, follow all the Jewish laws. And all the men, you've got to get circumcised and you've got to follow all these rules and regulations. It's the only way God will have you. And Paul writes to counteract that and says, guys, 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 no, it's grace. It doesn't matter what laws you follow anymore. You just follow Jesus in your heart, put your faith in God. If you're a Gentile, stay a Gentile. All the men go, whoo, amen, you know, they don't have to. And so so that's the, the main message of Galatians. So he's addressing this issue of, well, what about the Jews? You know, are they saved because of their law? No, no, no. He's saying it's all by faith. And what about Abraham? Yes, but he's saying, look at the Gentiles. They're becoming children of Abraham by faith, spiritual descendants of Abraham. And look at verse 8. What's more, the Scriptures looked forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith, God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the Lord to make them right with God are under his curse for the Scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law, which is impossible to do. So it's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law for the Scripture says it is through faith that a person has life. And finally, are you with me? Get this final last couple of verses. Look at this. This is Galatians 3 now, verse 28 There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Drop the mic. Thing, whatever they do. Isn't that that the thing? Honestly, did you grasp that? If you didn't, please go home and read all those passages and grasp that. So God still loves the Jewish people, but he says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. Isn't it fascinating in the New Testament? They're not banging on about trying to get your freedom if you're a slave. They just say, oh, you're a slave. Okay, well, suck it up and follow Jesus. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, and so we know slavery is bad, but sometimes God's allowing circumstances that are really tough, but the main deal is for us to have a heartfelt relationship with him. And then life's over and you're in heaven. And so sometimes <laughs> suffering uh, is, is tough. And we, our only prayer sometimes is, God, alleviate the suffering, change the circumstances. And sometimes God doesn't because sometimes it's, it's okay. It's tough, isn't it? But sometimes, you know, God's more important. God's more in, interested in, in our relationship with him and the, the testing of our character and the internal motivations and direction of our life than our just circumstances. Um, and so that's pretty extreme. Uh, but look, there's no, neither male nor female. So that's why we're, we allow women to preach. You know, like if they're any good, let them preach. And if they're not, we'll find something else to do, you know? And that goes for the men as well, you know? I mean, some people, I think, oh, you'd be great, share a word. And then I find out that they, you know, were having kittens for a week because they really good and just stand up preaching in front of someone. It was too much. and they So it's not your thing. It's fine. But male or female, I've got nothing to do with it, yeah? And so look at that. Jew or Gentile, no longer. It doesn't matter. We, we even have New Zealanders. It's incredible. They... Log us in the rugby and God is so gracious. I mean, he should just wipe them out, at least all the, just all the all bakes or just, I don't know, hamstring him or something, but he doesn't. Um, and, and so isn't that amazing? I mean, imagine, let me just finish with this because he says you've been in that passage. He goes on in the next chapter and says, you've been adopted into God's family. And you've got the same rights as a natural born son in that family. You're an heir. So, just think, I mean, okay, foster carers, where are, you know, the Cherkovs, you know, we've done our best. And, uh, and Keelan, who's with his nan and pop this weekend, uh, he's on a pretty good wicket. But just extrapolate that a million times. Imagine if the father was perfect. Okay, you know, getting, you know, but not, still, just can't. Imagine, imagine the family was just, imagine some kid poor, completely orphaned, destitute, you know, Nicholas Nickleby and David Copperfield and all those Dickensian characters all rolled into one. They were all the same, weren't they? All those books, they're, all, they're great, but they're all the same. You know, poor kid, done good and happily ever after. But imagine all these tall little kids and they're brought into this family that's wealthy, generous, kind, successful, puts them on a radio. I mean, that has probably happened at, at different times throughout, you know, human existence. But God's perfect and we don't deserve it and we get brought into the family so we get grafted into the olive tree and the same a different analogy but the same story is we get brought in and we are made heirs adopted into this family with complete rights and those rights as an heir goes all the way from Abraham all the blessings that God has promised goes all the way through to Abraham's children spiritual children children isn't it amazing Okay, so quite a lot to unpack, but let's just conclude with this to remember that, look, the national Israel, Israel, there's plenty of Jews that have missed it so far, but God still loves them and has hope for them. And so we as Christians should pray for that and pray for them. Also, we need to learn that we shouldn't get prideful and set in our ways because we can get religious about anything as the Pharisees did. You're right. So, as I said, it's always the same gospel message that God's got, but he might have a different method and ministry. So we have to be careful we don't just 
create boxes to say we're not going to do it that way because we've never done it that way before. It might be a new way that God leads us to. And of course, we appreciate the Jewish roots of our Christian faith and, and we love the fact that, that we have been grafted in. And wow, I mean, we started this morning singing that song, This Is My Testimony, from death to life. Well, you could write a verse on that one, you know, from wild olive branch to grafted into natural olive tree. Might not rhyme, but so perhaps best to leave it out. But the concept, you understand, is part of our testimony, yeah? And so we have, and you could do another verse if you were clever and you could fit it all in the whole book of Galatians in there because we've been given the blessing that Abraham was promised, yeah? Come on. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.